Boar's Head invites you to enlighten your senses. Introducing Boar's Head Ichiban Teriyaki-style chicken. Inspired by Japanese master chefs, our signature teriyaki glaze is crafted with garlic, ginger, and a hint of brown sugar. Then paired with our tender, slow-roasted chicken breast for a flavor that's sweet, savory, remarkably bold. Boar's Head Ichiban Teriyaki-style chicken. The bold flavor of Japan. Now at the deli. Compromise elsewhere. Blog Talk Radio. Well, good afternoon. This is Stephen McCarthy from the McCarthy Project, and we are coming to you live from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And today on the show, we're going to be discussing uh, the role of oxygen and oxygen supplementation and ways in which to do that. And one of the things that uh, through many years of research, um, I came across this idea of using oxygen, uh, but it's not uh, a well uh, it's not in mainstream. So I've asked Tom Butler, uh, who's the VP of sales for LIVO2, to kind of come on to the show today to talk about kind of the history of oxygen supplementation, what are some of the success stories that athletes may have had, and tell the story of LIVO2 and why it does what it does. So how are you doing today, Tom? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you for taking the time today. I you know, it's always uh, fun to talk, but there are certain things that sometimes you just got to go and you want to roll with it. So thank you very much for your time. No, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. Cool. Well, so let's get right into it because I think before we go into um, uh, those subjects that I mentioned, kind of give us a little bit of your background, your bio, and kind of how you've come to this point today. <clears throat> Well, it, it seems like in a, a different life, um, I worked in pharmaceutical drug development and spent a lot of time in the biochemistry world. And that was really valuable experience in terms of realizing that every chemical reaction in our body has an electrical push to it. So we're very much creatures of energy. And... In addition to that, our only economy or our only way to create energy in the body is through aerobic respiration or respiration with oxygen. If we don't have that, we basically don't have a net positive way to produce energy or do any work. Um, that experience in pharmaceutical development led me into a um, program in Chinese medicine. And uh, that, for me, was a really good match of saying, okay, we've got energy in the body. How do we explain it? How do we look at it? How do we work with the body in terms of functionality and improving that functionality? And that's really, I think, led to um, the work that we currently do now with oxygen, where we're primarily looking at how do we get into health creation? And that, I feel like, is the uh, enablement part of this, where individuals, whether they're an athlete or somebody who would rather not have a particular health experience, you know, they can get into this type of training with uh, training with oxygen. It's well-researched and has been around uh, at least since the 60s. Um, and it has a really great amount of benefits. Yeah. 
it's, it's interesting that it really does go back that far. Um, a lot of people wouldn't look at it as necessarily a Chinese medicine uh, concept, but when you start to look back into the ancient you know, texts and what uh, was wrote back then, you can see the little inklings that oxygen was in, uh, even on their radar back then. Yeah, we <laughs> well, a- any form of, of mammal, pretty much, you have to breathe. And in today's lifestyle, we we breathe less and we breathe uh, a poorer air quality and that we're indoors all the time, so we're in a city. Um, but very much our breath is our interaction between us and the outside world. We're designed to take in oxygen and, and harness the power of that for our metabolism. That's where the efficiency of our metabolism is. But, yeah, breath work has been around uh, for a very long time in terms of the, uh, you know, holotropic breath work, uh, even going back to something like uh, fire breathing, breath work, yoga, prana. Um, we've known for a long time we have to breathe. <laughs> yes. It's interesting when you – I say there really are a lot of synergies, and I should say synergies shouldn't be the right answer, but there are a lot of consistent principles in each one of those. Um, so they're not just yoga. It's not just Chinese medicine. It's not just X. It has – it's been found even in – I'm sure if we look back into the Greek world, they've – you know, probably brought something up like this as well. Yeah, absolutely. The you know, they're cultures that are known to go out and, and run marathons and um that's certainly part of you know, we at least know it from Greek mythology that they had, you know, these events and the history of the Olympic Games was all around this physical aspect. Um and I think a lot of us understand that, but what we don't realize is we've all got our own component of that. Uh, Some individuals have a really great propensity for oxygen usage. Others, maybe not so good. And this starts to explain this gradient that separates us, where we have some people that are really great marathon runners, and then some people that are better sprinters. Um, So there's this whole equation that goes into that. When we get into the science of that, we're really approaching exercise physiology. The first clinical side of it that I think was done really well was by a Dr. Manfred Van Arden. Uh, he was in East Germany. All his research was published in Germany. And then in the 1990s, um, it was translated to English. And um, people are just starting to recognize the value of the work he did with oxygen multi-step training. Um, his perspective was that every uh, illness or every um, physiology that's injured in some way, it all starts with uh, an injury to the respiratory system. And he was Mm. delicate enough and extensive enough in his histories of patients that he could trace those back and say, oh, it was this cold you got three or four years ago that landed you to this particular undesirable (laughs) event that brought you to the doctor. Because it's interesting when you even look into the physical therapy slash chiropractic slash, um, you know, when you look at an old injury that happened three or four years ago, the scar tissue is not perfect, you know, if you will. It's crisscrossed. And it leaves, Mm -hmm. while it may feel better and you're not having that pain anymore, that crisscross is still sitting there. 
And if you don't take a more approach of trying to get those fibers going the right way again, then there's a potential of coming back and tweaking it three or four years later, and you're going, well, why'd that happen? I didn't do anything different. You know what I mean? Is that the same concept? Well, it's it's similar, and I think you said, you know, something earlier that I, I basically wanted to comment that, you know, it's all connected. Uh, when we yeah. have an injury and it repairs itself, it's usually a functional repair. Um, <clears throat> we might still maintain uh, what would be uh, reduced voltage in that tissue. Uh, we might still have reduced circulation in that tissue and, and thus reduced oxygenation and nutrient supply in that tissue. And those all become hindrance on healing that and having it become the best version it can be. Um, and there are some modalities that, that, that work with scars and injuries until it comes back stronger than it was. Um, and that's the best case scenario if we give it enough of that attention. Um, you know, blood flow and oxygenation certainly play a role in that. Um, the, the theory that I'm really fond of now is that when we exercise our muscles and we do this in an aerobic range, we have the ability to not only create a very nice economy of ATP production from our mitochondria, but we're also working our muscles in a way that they create voltage. And when we view that from a meridian system, those muscle groups are also connected to an organ. And when we have those muscle groups at a higher voltage, it means we're actually sending that potential or that voltage also to the organ. And this means we can come closer to the ideal function of that organ just because we have more energy. Um, and the same is true for healing. Uh, if we have a tissue group that needs to heal, if we can increase the voltage around it, usually it'll come back to performing as ideally as it can. And sometimes we have to reconnect the, you know, the energy pattern uh, in that tissue or recirculate uh, blood into that tissue uh, before it'll come back. But, you know, that's the idea is when we have this flow of not only electrical current and nutrient and oxygen in the body, it's going to be at its optimal best or approaching the, you know, best genetic blueprint that it can have. Um, and that's the idea that I really like is as we progress and we get better, uh, the genetic blueprint also improves and moves down the, the line of what we can potentially become. Um, <laughs> so there's no, there's no destination dude, uh, for this you, other than being you, the you best you can be. deep into the pool. <laughs> deep into the, the pool. a cannonball in the deep end for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to have to move on because I'm telling you that you can take the conversation from there many different directions, but for the sake of time today, because we um, want to just kind of make this be and say, hey, there's information here. Get more information. There's, there's things that are happening that are positive. So now from that standpoint, let's move over to the kind of the second area that we had kind of talked about before. But what are some success stories with athletes that you guys have specifically seen? <clears throat> Well, without mentioning any names, and, and I'll probably actually talk about my experience first, is um, okay. I used to, used to run. Uh, you know, daily I was the guy that would go out and really enjoy running six miles a day. I moved to Colorado, went for about three runs, 
And I said, that's it. <laughs> I'm never doing that again. Yep. And, uh, and I started into a lifestyle that, that was pretty sedentary in terms of staying up late, studying, and dug myself into a really nice rut over about three years. And my body forgot what it was like to be oxygenated. Um, now, that's an extreme example, but for me, um, working with oxygen training and the LIVO2 adaptive contrast protocols, what I was able to do was pull myself out of this rut that I had dug into where I didn't feel like exercising. I was oxygen deficient, and I had a really poor habit and poor lifestyle into something that was much more energetic, much healthier, and also progressing my utilization of oxygen. I did, um, for me, I, you know, was an average guy, not in great shape, but not out of shape. But I did a, about a three-month you know, challenge to see how far I could take my VO2 max on a relative percent basis that went up about 29%. Um, and I fall into the category of average when it comes to VO2 max. So towards the end of that, I was creeping my way up into the just out of the normal side of average. And, you know, that's where my body lies as far as its ability to move blood and change oxygen and, and uh, do work. Now, when we apply this to athletes, um, the things that we hear them saying is different for everybody. For an older athlete, it's going to allow them to recover from workouts quicker. For a younger athlete, it might be the tool that challenges them enough on something other than room air where they can give their body a much different experience uh, than what it would normally get in a workout. When you take that onto the playing field or the court, what it means to me is you basically have another gear is not only did you just go down and score a goal, but your physiology is prepared to go down and score another goal again. Um, so we get into these quick recoveries. We get into training, how to breathe harder. Uh, we get into pre-event, um, basically helping the taper so that you go into an event really fresh, um, you have less lactic acid in your body, so you perform better, and you don't hit your threshold uh, as soon as you would. So you remain more aerobic for longer. Um, and then after events with recovery, um, you know, athletes challenge their bodies in a way where they too become oxygen deficient, either through overtraining or performing in an event at a high level, um, where they have to recover from that and they have to rest. When you're young, you have an easier job with that just because you have more of these nice young genetic resources. Um, as you get a little bit older, you don't recover quite as fast. So something like just an oxygen refresh, you know, a 10-minute at a targeted heart rate oxygen session, maybe with one or two effort events to kind of open the tissues up a little bit to help people get back to a point where they can say, okay, I'm recovered. And I'm either ready for the next event or I'm ready to go back to training. So then when you take that, there, again, has so many tentacles back out into other areas that while you may be – now, talk about the synergies of that because sometimes what I think happens is we get some focus on it. Well, if I do this, this is the X result. No, this might be if you do this and you get X, Y, Z, F, and D all together in one effort, or is it more of 
this specifically goes to one particular thing? Well, we we have the benefit of working with a couple really smart trainers. One of a one of them works with us, um, and his way of looking at this is, you know, we're we're smart as individuals, and we have a lot of history and a lot of science. But when we compare that to our body, our body is so much smarter than us. <laughs> it's yeah. going to figure out what we're doing to the extent of it's going to find a way to be economical at it. So if we can keep moving the pattern, we know we get to activate more of these potential pathways. And the more of these potential pathways we have open, the stronger we can perform. Um, you know, it, it gets into how much of you is available um, and functioning to, if you will, have a chance to be at your best physiology. When we go through intensive training or overtraining, um, we have in our minds an idea that we need to go out to the track and, and run so many sprints. Uh, but the reality might be is that that is maybe the wrong type of training physiology, even though that person has the right look, we might only be utilizing several pathways for their body to do that. Um, so there's, yeah, there's a lot of this and I'm, I'm being vague potentially because I don't think we completely, I don't think we completely understand that, but it really is that trained eye that can do enough of the right things. Uh, and rest is one of them. Hydration, nutrition, certainly important uh, that we can take an athlete to their best performance and, you know, that's a science that I think is still being developed. Um, it's as much of a science as it is an art as well. Um, there's a psychological aspect to it. Um, and all of those things, uh, as you know, come into training. And sometimes your body doesn't feel like doing things. And we don't make that, you know, small progression from the last workout uh, and that's usually an indication that, okay, the body needs to rest. We're not doing something correct in the ways of fueling it or supplying what it needs. Um, so we have to pay attention to those, not to push it beyond uh, where it's telling us it doesn't want to go. A lot of times we have the willpower to go out and train, but in reality, it might not be the best time spent. You know, it might be a day where stretching would be better. <laughs> Well, there's a lot to be said in the idea of periodization, you know, in the actual transfer to the actual event. And even in the weight room, simply, they're trying to figure out how to make that happen. And they don't feel that they've even solved that particular thing. When you sit there and say, well, you do all this work in the weight room, does it actually transfer to the sport? And what I hear you saying is essentially the same thing. There's still so much more to learn and so much more to understand and if you can get five or six of these pathways open, then it's a bonus. A absolutely. Keeping them open it is the key to, to the longer scope of, okay, I not only want to run this event really well, but I want to go on and, you know, have a career. And the value of this is that as you're having that career, you become a smarter athlete, you know, learning about your physiology, where you can go, where you can't go. Um, Sometimes less is more <laughs> uh, in, yep. in terms of that. 
And, you know, everybody has a different set of hardware or components and even, you know, the mental aspects that are going to make that pattern a little bit different from everybody. So as a coach, you know, that's where you have to dissect, well, the training needs to be a little bit different here to support what I think is going to be a better end result. Um, and, and, it, and it all should be challenging, but also nurturing. <laughs> all right. So let's, we get the last five or six minutes here that we have. Let's talk specifically, you know, about Livo2 and what products they have to kind of address or at least start to look into these areas we've talked about. Sure, absolutely. So adaptive contrast is really uh, the area here that we look at in terms of we're learning a lot about how the body responds and how we bring it out of autoregulation, and then we can saturate it deeper. What adaptive contrast is based on initially is the Manfred Van Arden quick step protocol. And that can be as simple as just oxygenating the body over a 15-minute exercise period at a target heart rate. There's a lot of benefit to that. What we also wanted to go to was something that had the high-intensity variables in it. Uh, so you end up with something that looks very much like a a sprint aid or a cycle eight exercise. But what we're also incorporating with that is the switching of oxygen air and rarefied air. So when I say oxygen air, it's about 80% oxygen air at a high volume breathing mask. And when we switch over to the rarefied air, it has about 25% of the oxygen removed from what we normally have in room air. So it goes from about 20% room air down to about 15%. And that's enough of a shift that we can give the body some strong signals. Um, we go through desaturation events, so small hypoxic events that get the body thinking, okay, we're doing something different here. We're working hard. We're desaturating quickly. You usually don't experience that unless you go to altitude. So it's a new experience for athletes to be able to work enough that they desaturate. Just about the body uh, you know, getting to the part where it's desaturating quickly, um, we switch the individual or participant back over to the oxygen air and have them recover and resaturate really quickly. The value of doing that is we get the body to do some different things. Uh, for athletes, we teach them how to breathe harder. They've got to change more of that air to get the same amount of oxygen to keep them at the best aerobic pace they can be in. We also teach them a comfort range of desaturating. We teach them really quick recovery. Um, and behind the scenes, what the body is doing is it's starting to become functionally dynamic, where if it knows it can send oxygen or enough oxygen to the heart, lungs, legs, it can keep going. It can keep running. Um, and then there's also a time where the body recognizes, okay, I can open up. I've got plenty of oxygen in this aerobic pace, I can send this blood flow to all of my body and we get nice oxygenated blood into, you know, deep into the tissues. Um, as we continue, basically the body becomes stronger at defending certain ranges. And then we work on changing that up before we get too used to it so that we can break those patterns and we can, you know, have the body, 
experience a new pattern or a new challenge. And it's just a progression. We keep the, the target moving forward. And the idea is we feel like we're giving the body enough of the right thing that it can create a system that performs better, whether it's better through efficiency or better through more resources. Um, that's where we, we try to go with it with the adaptive contrast training. And it works the whole scope of, a, you know, from a fresh athlete to a fatigued athlete. We would do very different protocols between the two. Um, and it's very much a process of using the body's own pumps, our lungs, our heart, and our vascular system to get that result. And this becomes very important because it's an earned result. And when we can layer those earned results on top of one another, that's where we start to see this tangible result in performance. And to so many athletes, even a small result in performance can really be huge when it gets to the playing field. Yes. Now, let's take a little bit different task because I want to just clarify the results. Because when you talk about, uh, let's just say, Olympic-level athletes, small incremental changes are huge. You know what I mean? Because we're talking, you can go from 37.23 seconds down to 37.03, and that might be the difference between third and fifth place. You know, that's a big step forward. On the other hand, you have, like, high school kids, you know, that are just looking to be better overall and have a better overall wellness. Uh, They would get another benefit overall. How do you see... The, are the programs different for each age group or each type of athlete? I know you talked about the art earlier, but is it is it mm-hmm. at that level of science yet, or is it still something to be worked out? Well, the the best way that we've come up to describe this is you always have to train what's happening in the individual. If we get too attached to one particular theory or one particular training protocol, we might not be listening to the person's body. Um, And in the terms of a younger athlete, um, they come to the table with a whole lot of resources and their body can respond in ways where we can challenge it. And at that younger age, they're going to create, you know, better vascular systems. They're going to really quickly create thicker blood to carry more oxygen. So they adapt really quickly and they respond really well. So for the younger athletes that you can think of it is we're still in some ways developing the body. You can still train, you know, a 60, 70 year old to have a cardiovascular performance. But when you're young uh, in terms of high school and college, um, you have the ability where your body is still developing what it considers the needed resources. I mean, it's probably one of the best times in your life to get really good in shape. Um, and, and I say that in the context of not exhausting yourself, but your body <laughs> will respond better than it ever will. Um, and on the other side of the coin, it's also one of the, I'll say, best times in your life to produce fat cells and get fat. You know, so you got to figure out what side of this you're on uh, in terms of the the training. If you if you have that longer goal, you know, recognize that you're training this individual 
who has the resources to create this frame that they're going to carry for, you know, their whole life. So if you can create it in a way that it performs better and has better oxygen efficiency, has more power, um, you know, it's the ultimate physics equation of, you know, can we, can we create this um, as opposed to can we train this? And that, I would say, is the, the really neat thing for anybody who's looking at competitive sports or just being the best version uh, that they can be. Um, in those younger years, you've got the, the resources to mold that more than any other time of your life. You've got more potential. Way cool. All righty. Well, we've amazing how time does fly, man. We've already spent our 30 minutes talking, and uh, yeah. I don't think we're any closer than we were when we started, to be honest with you. It feels like sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the journey we're on, so I, that's what yeah. fascinates me about it. Yes. All righty. Um, well, where can people get more information to kind of start the process of researching? Where would you recommend they start? Well, there's some great resources out there on oxygenation. Um, LiveO2.com is a place we try to highlight those and keep it up to date as, you know, a distribution model. So just L-I-V-E-O is in oxygen and the number two.com um, is, a, is a great place to start. You'll learn about our systems, but also there's some links that practitioners have put up um, and also links to the science foundations of Manfred von Arden and the work that he did that basically gave us this foundation to move into adaptive contrast. Very cool. Well, again, thank you very much for the time today. I, uh, if people do want to get more information, just give us an email or send us an email, I should say, or go to our website. Um, we do actually have the LiveO2 system at our company, and so I'm Totally excited about this. Again, thank you, Tom, very much for spending the time today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Stephen. You have been listening to The McCarthy Project, and remember to always attack life and sport. Progressive presents Mindflowness with Flow. Your aura brims with confidence. The Name Your Price tool has given you policy options based on your budget. A source of great power rises from within. Like a Tyrannosaurus Rex that can shoot dragons out of its eyes, riding on a tank. Get insurance based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Boar's Head invites you to enlighten your senses. Introducing Boar's Head Ichiban Teriyaki-style chicken. Inspired by Japanese master chefs, our signature teriyaki glaze is crafted with garlic, ginger, and a hint of brown sugar. Then paired with our tender, slow-roasted chicken breast for a flavor that's sweet, savory, remarkably bold. Boar's Head Ichiban Teriyaki-style chicken. The bold flavor of Japan. Now at the deli. Compromise elsewhere.